Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Tonight is the 56-yard site of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Fidike Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. And uh, today is the day that the Rebbe became Rebbe. Officially a year later, 55 years ago. Um, also we'll dedicate this year tonight in memory of Chava Bas Hanan, her second yard site today. So um, it'll be in her merit, merit of her soul. The Talmud talks about the Tzaddik, Benuni, and the Rasha. So what's the conventional understanding of the word Tzaddik? A righteous person, a Tzaddik. A Rasha is a wicked person, and a Benuni is average. Percentage-wise, a Tzaddik is majority positive, 51% positive and up. The Rasha is 49%, uh, 51% negative and up. And the Bainani is 50-50. So he proves that that cannot be the true meaning of the word Bainani because according to the Torah, the moment a person does something positive, he's a tzaddik. The moment he does something negative, he's a rasha. Because the foundation of Judaism is that a person accepts upon himself the, the yoke of heaven. It's like being a soldier in the army. A soldier can't pick and choose. You know, I'll obey this and I won't obey that. Once you accept upon yourself the king's sovereignty, you're a soldier, you're loyal, then you accept to listen, to obey, and to listen to all orders. So the moment a person feels that he can throw off the yoke of heaven and certain mitzvot I'll do and certain mitzvot I won't do, then at that moment he's a rasha. He's rebelling. He's not accepting upon himself the yoke of heaven. If a Jew doesn't accept that God has a right to command me and to order me and to tell me that God is not my king and he's not my commander-in-chief and he's not my... And, and therefore his command does not obligate me, then he's a rasha. That, that moment he's a rasha. He threw, throws off the yoke of heaven. See, even the moment a person violates one mitzvah, even one single mitzvah, out of the 613 mitzvah, not only a negative, if he transgresses a prohibition, even if he omits to fulfill a positive mitzvah, not only a biblical mitzvah, even a rabbinic mitzvah, which is also the will of God. What difference does it make how God revealed His will to us? God has many ways to reveal His will to us. One way is through the written Torah, the overt Torah, God says, the 613 mitzvah. But then in the Torah, God also tells us that we should listen to the rabbis. The Torah was given orally as well as, as written, the written Torah and the oral Torah. So if that's the will of Hashem, and, and the rabbis reveal that this is part of the Torah, this is the will of Hashem, what difference does it make? The tiniest, the slightest mitzvah, rabbinic mitzvah, is just as binding upon us as, as a biblical mitzvah. Because this is the will of Hashem, and a, a Jew accepts upon himself to fulfill the will of Hashem. So therefore, the moment the person transgresses, a rabbinic prohibition is also called a rush. He says, how much more so if a person omits to fulfill a... If a person transgresses a rabbinic prohibition, he's called a rasha, how much more so if a person omits to fulfill a positive, a biblical commandment? For example, the mitzvah of studying Torah. We know how important it is to study Torah. And every moment that a person has, every free moment that a person has, a person should utilize that moment to study Torah. Otherwise, there's a concept that we call bittel Torah that you had the ability to study Torah and you, you dismissed it. It wasn't important enough for you. So if God gave you time and He gave you energy to study His Torah, and a person neglects to study Torah, it, in a way, you're insulting. It's like a personal insult to God. Oh, I don't find this important. This is not important enough to engage my mind, engage my time, engage my effort, my energy. So that's a personal insult. And the Talmud uses a very sharp language about, about that person, the, st this, this, the status of that person. So at that moment, he's also a rush. So the question is, who is the Benini? So obviously, we must say that a Benini, who is not called a Russia, is someone 
who is perfect. In his behavior, he is perfect. He acts like a Jew, speaks like a Jew, thinks like a Jew. He is not violating a single biblical mitzvah, positive or prohibition, not a single rabbinic mitzvah. Even those mitzvah that are very difficult to keep. And yet he's perfect. He's doing everything that's right. He's following every last letter in the code of Jewish law. And that's what we call a benani. It sounds like a, a lot better than some people we call tzaddikim. <laughs> because even the people we call a tzaddik, nobody is perfect. But here we're saying the benani is someone who's perfect. And therefore, we understand how Rabbah could possibly mistake. He began that Rabbah, who was the leading sage of his generation, who stood out even amongst the rabbinic rabbis, the Talmudic rabbis, Rabbah stood out. He was like special. That he didn't waste a minute, a moment. Every waking moment, he studied Torah. He was engrossed in Torah. He was engaged in Torah. And in studying Torah in the highest level, in the most purest form. So much so, the Talmud tells us that the angel of death couldn't take his soul. When it came time for him to pass away from this world, the angel of death couldn't approach him. Because he was so immersed in Torah that the Torah protected him. He couldn't approach him. So Rabbah was such a special, unique individual, and Rabbah made a statement about himself, an autobiographical statement. He described himself, he says, I'm a Benini. I'm just an average Jew. The question is, how could Rabbah... If, if a, the definition of a Baini is 50-50, how can Rabbah, who was so careful, even, he didn't even waste one single moment, one free moment from studying Torah, which is so unique. Even amongst his colleagues, he stood out. And he studied Torah on the highest level. And we know how difficult it is for a person not to waste a moment in your life. Every waking moment, every conscious moment was totally engrossed and immersed in studying Torah. I mean, this is such a high level. It's unusual. Even in the Talmudic times, it was unusual. The Talmud doesn't tell us about the other rabbis that the angel of death couldn't, couldn't take their soul away. It was only about, about Rabbah. So how can Rabbah mistake and be so mistaken about himself? And he says, well, I think I'm only a Benini. I mean, he's not a fool. A person has to be honest with himself. Just like a person has to be honest about your faults, a person has to be honest about your strengths as well. Honesty cuts both ways. Just like a person shouldn't exaggerate his, <laughs> his value and his self-worth, a person has to be able to be honest with himself. And that's a sign of spiritual growth when we are able to view ourselves subjectively, exactly the way other people see us. Because other people see us very honestly. Our egos only distort our self-perception. But when it comes to other people, we are brutally honest have no reason to distort anything. It's a tremendous level when a person reaches a state where you can view yourself honestly and objectively. The truth. Because you know how difficult it is to be honest with ourselves. It's almost impossible. Because it's called bribery. We know the power of bribery. Once you receive bribes, you can't be honest with yourself. Once a judge receives a bribe, he's no longer honest. So all these politicians in Washington, once they get bribed with a lobbyist, it's, 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 they lost all honesty and all objectivity. So we are all bribed. When it comes to ourselves, we distort our unconditional love for ourselves, distorts our perspective in ourselves. So it's almost impossible for us to be honest with ourselves. But that's a tremendous level. When a person could reach a level where a person wants to be, I want to know the truth. I, I don't want to hear excuses. And I don't want to blame this one and that one. And I don't want to hear rationalizations. I just want to know the truth. What are my faults? What are the areas of my life that I need to work on to improve? And I want to get to it, and I want to change, and I want to improve. That's a rare individual. It's a very mature individual. A person who could be honest with themselves. But just like it's important for a person to be honest with themselves when it comes to knowing your own faults, it's equally as important for a person to be honest with themselves. They must know their strength. Because otherwise it's false humility. If God gave you strengths, God gave you certain talents. Every one of us is unique. There are no two people look alike. So God gave us certain unique talents and we have to contribute to this world. We add something special to this world. 
everyone else is dependent upon us because only we can contribute. We are the only ones who can contribute whatever we were put in this world to contribute, our unique talents, our unique way of experiencing life. So a person should not underestimate himself, shouldn't, be a, shouldn't suffer from low self-esteem and negative, false humility. Oh, I am nobody, I'm nothing, what difference do I make? Who am I? I'm a nobody, I'll be quiet, I'll hide under the table. Each one of us is indispensable, and Hashem needs us. And therefore, each one of us has to have the strength to know our strengths and to step up to the plate. Because it's not about us. If God gave me a talent, then God gave it to me. And I need to express it. It's not about me. It's about, it's what Hashem wants, what Hashem needs in this world. That's my mission. I'm God's ambassador. I can't shirk that responsibility. I'm representing Him. I can't run away and hide, well, I'm too modest. It's not about you. It's who you represent. You represent the king. You represent Hashem. You represent Klal. You saw the Jewish people. So you have to walk with dignity, with pride. You, you are royalty. Every Jew is royalty. You have to walk around like a king. Not, not because of ego. It's not about me, how smart I am. It's about who I represent. And therefore, if God gave me a talent, I have to assert myself. And that's the opening line of the code of Jewish law. The opening line in the Code of Jewish Law, the very foundation of a Jew is, the Code of Jewish Law begins with the declaration, Al It's important for a Jew not to be embarrassed from those who laugh at us, from those who denigrate us. Because a person has to, a Jew has to have pride, dignity. We have to remember that we're royalty. We come from the most ancient royal family in the world today. The real royal family, true royal family. The children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, who God made a covenant with them. The creator of heaven and earth. So a Jew is a walking royalty. So you have to carry yourself with dignity. So it's important for a person to know his strengths also. So how could Rabbah declare and consider himself, you know, I'm just a Benini, I'm just 50% good, 50% evil. Whom is he kidding? When Rabbi didn't even waste a waking moment, a moment of his life, a second of his life, he utilized every moment in his life to study Torah. And he considers himself an average person, and his student had to argue with him. But now that we define that the word Benini, the Benini, unlike the Russia, the Benini is perfect, he's 100%. He doesn't transgress, and he doesn't omit a single biblical or rabbinic commandment, even those that are difficult to keep. For example, studying Torah every moment. So now at least we can begin to understand how Rabbah could make that mistake. Rabbah says, I know, I'm being objective. I know my strengths. I know who I am. I know my specialty. And I know that I study Torah to an extent that's, that's even special, even in comparison to my contemporaries. But that doesn't make me a tzaddik. I'm just a bainani. I'm just an average Jew. So what is the true definition of a tzaddik? What is the difference between a tzaddik and a rush? Before we get to that, there is a note. We left off the note on the bottom of page 39. As for what is written in the Zohar 3, page 231, he whose sins are few is classed as a righteous man who suffers, implying that even according to the Zohar, the meaning of a righteous man who suffers is one who does have sins, albeit few. And if so, a Benini must be one who is in part virtuous and in part sinful. So the question is, how can we say that a tzaddik is someone, not only a tzaddik is someone who, who's perfect, who has not a single sin, but even a Benini is one who doesn't even have a single sin of commission or omission. Because the moment you do a single sin, you're called a Rasha. When the, the Zohar states clearly that someone who has a few sins is a tzaddik who has a little evil. And he answers, This is the query of Rav Hamnuna to Elijah. But according to Elijah's answer, the meaning of a righteous man who suffers is as stated in Raya Memna on Parshit Mishpatim quoted above. That is, that the righteous man who suffers is one whose evil nature is subservient to his good nature. Rabbi Hamnuna's question, he thought that that's the definition of a tzaddik who suffers because he has a few sins. 
But Elijah the prophet responded to him and told him, no, that, that was incorrect. That the tzaddik is perfect, a tzaddik that has no sins. And now he's going to explain, but how did Rav Amnuna even think that that's the explanation? How did Rav Amnuna even, as a thought, how did he even entertain the thought that the definition of a tzaddik is someone who has a few sins? When he proved from the Talmud that he quoted earlier, that we studied last week, that the moment you do a sin, you call the Russia. She says, the reason why Rav Amnuna even thought so, continue. And the Torah has 70 facets, modes of interpretation. The Rebbe Shlita notes that the words, and the Torah has 70 facets, help us understand Rav Hamnuna's query. It is difficult to understand how Rav Hamnuna would even entertain the notion that a righteous man who suffers is one who actually sins, inasmuch as all the above-mentioned questions clearly lead us to assume the opposite. Rav Hamnuna's query, however, was prompted only by the fact that the Torah has 70 facets, and he thought that this was possibly one of these facets. End of note. The Torah has many explanations and many paths, so he thought that perhaps this is one legitimate path in the Torah. One path in the Torah is the path that the Talmud mentions, that the tzaddik is perfect, even the benni is perfect, the moment you do a single sin, he called the rasha, but he thought perhaps there's another path where a tzaddik is someone who has a majority of mitzvot and a minority has a few sins. But Eliyahu disabused him of that notion, and he says, no, that's not one of the 70 paths. The only correct interpretation is that the tzaddik is perfect, not only the tzaddik, but even the benini. And now he's going to explain if that's the true definition of a tzaddik, someone who's perfect, and the benini was perfect, then why do we find elsewhere in the Talmud, we do find the idea of a tzaddik on someone who is a majority good, and the Benini is someone who is half and half, and the Russia who is a majority uh, evil. Where do we find this? One of the major Jewish holidays of the year. Regarding Rosh Hashanah, it says that on Rosh Hashanah the Book of Life is open, and the Book of Death is open, the Book of Tzadikim, the Book of Rishoyim. If someone has a majority mitzvot, he's written to the Book of Life, He's a tzaddik. If someone has a majority sins, he's a rasha. He's written into the opposite, and so on. It's benini, 50-50. Then he has 10 days of teshuvah till Yom Kippur. And then Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur decides. So we see clearly in the Talmud the concept that a tzaddik is majority good and a rasha is majority evil. Uh, you know, it could be 40, 51% good and it could be 51% evil. And benini is 50-50. So how do you reconcile that with what we just explained, that a tzaddik and a benni are perfect, they're 100% good? As for the well-known saying that one whose deeds and misdeeds are equally balanced is called a benani, while he who has a majority of virtues outweighing his sins is called a tzaddik, this is only a borrowed name. That is a figurative use of the term borrowed from its true usage in order to emphasize a particular point. Thus the names Benoni and Sadiq, denoting a balance between merits and sins, are in fact but borrowed names. In Hebrew we have a concept called Shem HaTohar, Shem HaMushal. Shem HaTohar means the accurate definition of the word, the true definition of the word. Shem HaMushal means borrowed. You borrow the use of the word because of one of the aspects of the word. For example, here. When you call, when you say that someone is a tzaddik, for example, he's going to bring the example if someone wins a court case. So we say he's a tzaddik bedin. Now, does, is anyone describing this person as a tzaddik? It could be in his private life, he's a rasha, he's a scoundrel, he's a crook, he's a ganav. But in this court case, he won the court case. In this court case, he happens to be right, he happens to be telling the truth. Are we describing the person? Do I know anything about the person? Just because he won this court case, that means he's a tzaddik? He's a righteous person? Is that what the judges uh, decided? The judges are not deciding. We don't know anything about this person. The judges are deciding a very narrow case, this specific case, who is right and who is wrong, who is guilty, who is not guilty. So it could be the rest of his life he's a low life, but in this case he happens to be just. Just because a person is a, is a ganif in the rest of his life, it doesn't mean that we automatically assume that in this case he's wrong. The judges looked into it and they said, you know, in this case he was telling the truth and he won and he's right. 
But we call him a tzaddik. He's a tzaddik in this court case. So it's a very narrow definition. We're just borrowing the term tzaddik and we're just using it for this narrow meaning that he's a tzaddik in this court case, in this narrow situation. He's a tzaddik. He won. That's all we're saying. We're not describing the person. It's not a description of the person. And exactly the same way, whenever the Talmud says, like in Rosh Hashanah, that the book of life is open and the book of death is open, and the book of Tzaddikim or the book of, of Rishayim, we don't mean to say that because he's 51% good, that he's genuinely a Tzaddik. We're just saying that in the court case, in Rosh Hashanah, because he's 51% good, he's majority good, that's why he's considered a Tzaddik. He wins the court case. And he's, and he's written into the book of life. And if it's 51% bad, then he's a Russia, and he's written in the opposite. And if it's 50-50, then, then it's, it's left hanging until it's decided on Yom Kippur. That's all it means. So that's what we call in Hebrew a shame hamushal. Okay, continue. Used in regard to reward and punishment, because one is judged according to the majority of his deeds, and he is termed righteous in reference to his verdict, since he is acquitted at his trial. It is only in this legal sense that the term tzaddik is applied to one who performs more good deeds than evil. If, however, we seek to truly define the distinct qualities and ranks of tzaddikim and benonim, our sages have remarked that the righteous are judged, that is, motivated and ruled, solely by their good nature, as it is written, and my heart is slain within me. Now that we know that in the true definition of the word rasha, the moment a person violates a single mitzvah, commission, omission, biblical, rabbinic, he's called a rasha, which forces us to say that a benni is someone who's perfect, who's 100%. So what is the distinction between a benni and a tzaddik? So he says, if you want definite, true definition of the word tzaddik, the Talmud gives us the definition of the true word tzaddik. The Talmud says that a tzaddik is entirely controlled by his yetzah toiv that he has, his evil is slain within me. He has no Yetzirah. He has no evil inclination. The difference between the Tzaddik and the Bainani is an internal difference. Externally, there is no difference between the Bainani and the Tzaddik. The Bainani is perfect and the Tzaddik is perfect. The Bainani thinks like a Jew and speaks like a Jew and acts like a Jew and follows the code of Jewish law 100%. What is the difference? It's what's going on inside the person. The tzaddik doesn't have a yetzahara, doesn't even have an evil inclination. We can't even begin to fathom what that means. You're talking about, it's almost like a spiritual superman, someone who's in a different level. Someone who has no yetzahara, who has no evil inclination. <laughs> it's hard to us to relate to what that means. Meaning that he, that is David, the author of this verse, was devoid of an evil nature, having slain it through fasting. David extirpated his evil nature through fasting. Other ways, too, are possible. Now, fasting doesn't necessarily have to be through, through fasting from eating. There are many ways of fasting. There are people who used to fast, like not speak, deprive themselves of speaking when they wanted to speak. It's basically depriving yourself and overcoming your nature, your natural inclination, not just to follow your inclination that the moment I want something, I just follow every whim and every instinct I just follow it automatically to show mastery that a person is in control of his nature. I'm hungry and I want to eat. No, I won't eat. Who says I have to eat? And just because I want to speak doesn't mean I have to speak. And David Amela, through this intense discipline and fasting, he was able to reach a level where he, he was devoid of his evil nature. He slayed, he slayed his evil nature. He slayed his Yetzirah. That he was totally in control of his heart. Not only that he did the right thing, but he wasn't even tempted no longer to do anything wrong. Okay, continue. We thus see from the Gemara that the definition of tzaddik in its true sense applies to the person who has rid himself of his evil nature. But whoever has not attained this degree of ridding himself of his evil nature, even though his virtues outnumber his sins, is not at all at the level and rank of tzaddik. In fact, not only has he not reached the rank of tzaddik, he has not yet attained even the level of Benoni, as has been demonstrated above. So if a person is 99.9% .9 good, but his 1% does something wrong, not only is he not a tzaddik, 
In the conventional sense of the word tzaddik, if you're 51% good, you're already a tzaddik. You're tipping the scale, you're already a tzaddik. Now he's saying, if you're 99.9% good, not only aren't you a tzaddik, you're not even a benini. A benini is one who's 100%, who's following all the mitzvot, 613, positive and negative. He doesn't have a single sin of commission or omission, biblical, rabbinic. He's perfect. And what is a tzaddik? Oh, what is a tzaddik? The tzaddik is someone who not only does everything that's right, but actually is not even tempted to do something wrong. The bainani is tempted, but he overcomes his temptation. Tremendous self-discipline. He overcomes his temptation. He's in control of his behavior, but he's not in control of his heart. The tzaddik is the superior human being. The one in a million. The one in a, in a generation. The King Davids of the world. Who's from the top seven Jews that ever lived. Can you imagine? A lot, a lot of competition. A lot of holy Jews throughout 3,800 years of Jewish history. King David is considered the top seven. Which is why the Talmud said that anyone who takes the story of King David and Bathsheba literally is a fool. Because if you take the story literally, you and I are better than King David. We would never do what King David did. So whoever says that King David did what it reads the story literally is a fool. The Torah was given together with the oral tradition that fills in the whole story. The Torah was written very cryptically. You don't know the whole story until you read the Midrash and the Talmud. It, was, it wasn't simple at all. The King David was the top seven from all the Jews that ever lived. King David was considered the top seven holiest Jews. As the Talmud says, he has no Yetzirah, he, doesn't have any, he never had an evil inclination. He killed his evil inclination. So this is one in a generation. This is what differentiates Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Aleah, Moses, Aaron, the prophets, the Talmudic rabbis, the Shemtev, the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe. You're talking about people of a different, a different level. It's not just that they don't sin. There was a court case. We just celebrated not long ago. Last month we celebrated the victory. There was a one of the grandchildren of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe decided to take books from his personal collection, which is the world's largest uh, collection of Jewish books, most precious collection of Jewish books, ancient manuscripts. He decided to take it for his own personal use, and he started selling them. They were invaluable. They can make a lot of money. And, you know, the Chabad, the Rebbe took, took him to the court, says, how can you do this? It doesn't belong to you. It's not a private possession. It belongs to the Hasidim. The previous Rebbe collected it for the Jewish people. He didn't collect it for his own personal, private possession. It's a long court case, and it went before a non-Jewish judge. And the court case was decided, essentially, based on a letter the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote to the State Department. He was in Poland. And he asked for help to help him transfer his books. And he wrote that I bought these books for Agudat Hasidei Chabad, for the community, the Chabad community. So the grandchild and his, and, his, and his lawyers argued the previous Rebbe was just saying that because he wanted to get the books out, so he just wrote that. It's a lie. It wasn't true. Really, it belonged to him. It was his own personal possession, and therefore I'm his grandson, therefore I can take it and sell it and do as I wish with The judge, a non-Jew, after hearing a lot of testimony, Eliezer testified and many, many people testified, he said, he understood. He said, once he learned and he understood the concept of a tzaddik, of a righteous Jew, as explained in the Tanya, that the difference between a tzaddik and a benini is, a benini is a Jew who won't lie. Because the Torah says you're not allowed to lie. So under no circumstances he won't lie. He's an honest person. He has integrity. He'll always tell the truth. But it's not that he's not tempted to lie. It's not that he can't lie. He could lie. But he chooses not to lie. Because he chooses to do the right thing. The tzaddik is not even capable of lying. It's not that he doesn't lie. It's much deeper than he doesn't lie. He's not even capable of lying. His whole being is genuine. It's like a difference between you know, the, the comic and the comedian. What's the difference between a comic and a comedian? <laughs> the comics, Charlie Chaplin's of the world, you know, the, what, what differentiates them between all the comedians you see at night, you know, a dime a dozen? What differentiates them? 
A comedian is someone who does comedy. And if you know them personally, they're probably some of the most depressed people in the world. That's a separate story. <laughs> What's a comic? His whole being is comedy. It's not he does comedy. You look at him and you start laughing. It's not just something that he does or he says or it's meditated, it's thought, he thought, premeditated. It, it permeated into his whole being, his whole essence, his whole being has become part of him. His whole being is coming. The difference between a tzaddik and a benini, a benini is someone who does the right thing, speaks the right thing, thinks the right thing, at all times, all places, follows the Torah, and always does the right thing. But he's tempted to do otherwise. And it's not that he doesn't have a choice, he could do the wrong thing, but he chooses to do the right thing. The tzaddik is someone, he's not even tempted to do the wrong thing. He cannot say a lie. It's not that he chooses to say a lie. His whole being is truth. His whole being is genuine. It's not even a possibility for him to say a lie. Because it's his very essence. It's a qualitative difference. It's an internal difference. Externally, if you judge the two, you look at the two, you observe the two, you don't see any difference in the Benini and the Tzadik. He's doing everything that's right, he's doing everything that's right. But it's a deeper difference. And that's why the Tzadik is one or two in every generation. This is why our sages have expounded. The Almighty saw that the righteous were few, so he arose and planted, that is, and spread them in every generation. The question is, if the definition of a tzaddik is in the conventional sense, someone who's 51% righteous, a tzaddik, a Jew, goes to shul three times a day, gives tzedakah, what a nice person, a tzaddik, the way we loosely throw the term around. There are only a few in every generation. There are many in every generation. Thank God. But now that we know that the true definition of the word tzaddik, the shem hatoar, is someone who has no yetzahara, someone who has no evil inclination, who, someone who cannot say a lie, his whole being is genuine and truthful. As the judge says at the previous Rebbe, he wasn't even capable of saying a lie. So when he writes in his letter that the books belong to the Hasidim, he, he means exactly what he says. And based on that, he gave the books back. He ordered the grandson to return all the books back to the library. It belongs that's, to the that's Hasidim. That's how the case was argued. They, they yeah. taught him what a tzaddik yes. was. And... and he understood it. The non-Jewish judge understood it. This was in New York? Yes, actually the lawyers, the lawyers consulted with the Rebbe who accepted to be Rebbe tonight, 55 years ago. So they consulted with the Rebbe. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, listen, I don't want to tell you what to do because you're the lawyers. So it was like a consultation. The Rebbe said, I don't want to impose, you know, you, you figure it out. He wanted, everything should be, this, this should be argued in the court of law and that he wanted to win in the court of law, in a, in a non-Jewish court of law, based on American law. But the Rebbe, like, suggested this point. And it turned out that that was the point that the judge understood, and that was the point that won the whole court case. That a Re- he understood. Sif, Sif, a non-Jew. He understood that a Rebbe, what a Rebbe is, a tzaddik. Tzaddik, is not, he can lie, he's not a politician. It's not a word, a word is a word. It's not, it's not that he chooses, it's much deeper than that. He can't say a lie. His whole being is truthful. So he can't say he lied because he wanted to get the books out, so therefore he made up a story and he just wrote it. If he said it, he meant what he said, he said what he meant, and it's real, and it's, and it's genuine. That he bought the books, his whole library wasn't this personal, private collection. He bought it for the Jewish people, and he bought it for the Hasidim, and it belongs to all the Hasidim. So, therefore, we can understand now why the Talmud says that there's only a few in every generation. A person on that level, a person who's not capable of telling a lie, a person who doesn't even have an evil inclination, who has no urges, is not even tempted to do something negative. This is one or two in every generation. This is a person who's head and shoulders above average. You can't compare him to the Benni. Of course, the Benni on the books is perfect. The Benni is the Jew who struggles, who has discipline, who overcomes, who does the right thing, who comes through when it comes to action. He comes through and he does the right thing. But it's a tremendous struggle. It takes tremendous effort. 
the tzaddik is, is, like, is like a genius. It's like a different, it's like Einstein. It's a different, a different level, <laughs> different world. He's operating in a different dimension. It's like a spiritual superman. It's a different, a different, a different, uh, that's, that, that's only one or two in, in a generation. And these are the biblical characters. As someone once said, that the sins, from their sins, the Torah was written. From our mitzvot, no one is writing any Torah. <laughs> so we talk about the Avram, you know, Jacob's sin, or Moses' sin, or, you know, you have to scratch your head, Mo- Moses hit the rock. What sin? When sin? What did he do already? You know, the, the David's sin. You're talking about people who are spiritual giants. You're talking about people in a different dimension. They're living and operating in a different world. We can't even begin to relate to, to that type of inner world where a person is not even tempted has no materialistic temptations. Materialism means nothing to him. Money, fame, power, materialistic pleasures, external surface, skin-deep pleasures, this has no appeal to them. What appeals to them, the only urge they have and the appeal is godliness, holiness, selflessness, goodness, spirituality, genuineness. This is their life. This is the only thing that means anything to them. We can't even begin to relate to that type of person. No wonder why. They're, they're, they're giants. They're head and shoulders above the average. They're the giants of Jewish history. They were the Rebbe's of Jewish history, our leaders, our teachers, the Rashi's, the Maimonides. They were holy people. Not just brilliant intellects, brilliant minds. They were holy people. Their life was holy. Their being was holy. Their whole life was godly and genuine and authentic and deep. And This is a tzaddik. For as it is written, for as it is written, the tzaddik is the foundation of the world. Sometimes you only have one tzaddik who's the foundation and the pillar of the whole world. Because within a tzaddik you have different levels. You have, as we'll explain later at great length, you have different levels of a tzaddik. So you can have a few tzaddikim in every generation. Then there's one or two in every generation, but then there's the one tzaddik of the generation the pillar of the foundation, the cornerstone of the world. You remove the cornerstone, the whole building collapses. It's in the merit of that tzaddik that the whole world uh, is, is existing. And that's why it says when, like certain tzaddikim, um, there was no rainbow in their lifetime. There was no rainbow. I'll never forget when the Rebbe passed away on the third day of Tammuz, when they brought the coffin out of 770, and it's not, it's not that we even noticed it at the time, but later on it was on Channel 7 News. And um, it started like raining, and they pointed out in the news. As soon you can see it, as soon as they brought the Rebbe out, a rainbow appeared. It's like when the tzaddik, the foundation of the world, passed away. The only reason the Hashem is not destroying the world, like you remove the cornerstone of the world, is because of the rainbow, because He promised He's not going to destroy the world. So that's a tzaddik who's the foundation of the world, who affects the whole world, who impacts the entire world. That's, that's a different level of a tzaddik. That's the highest level of a tzaddik. But from the lowest level of a tzaddik to the highest level of a tzaddik, we're talking about a different type of human being altogether. It's made up of a different cloth. It's a different type of person, different type of life, inner life. Continue. Thus, in each generation, there must be a tzaddik who serves as the foundation of the world. This paucity of tzaddikim, the righteous were few, can be explained only if a tzaddik is he who has totally rid himself of his evil nature. Were the term tzaddik to mean one whose good deeds outweigh the evil, why then do our sages say that the righteous were few, when the overwhelming majority of Jews have more good deeds than evil? As a matter of fact, the Talmud says that there, were, there are 18,000 tzaddikim throughout all of Jewish history, throughout all of history. History of the world, there are 18,000 tzaddikim, and Hashem saw that there's so few, He spread them throughout all the generations. A few here, a few there, a few there. If the definition of a tzaddik is, in the conventional sense of the word, that the majority righteous, 51% good, there are 18,000 tzaddikim alive right now, today, just in our generation. But if you follow the correct, the definition of the word tzaddik, someone who has worked in his nature to such an extent, who has, the person who has climbed the spiritual Mount Everest. How many people are there who can climb this Mount Everest? Who have the persistence, the willpower, the drive, 
the relentlessness, the intensity, the dedication, the devotion to climb the peak of Mount Everest. It's one in a billion. So too there's a spiritual Mount Everest. The tzaddik, like King David, who worked on his nature to such a level. He overcame his human nature. He overcame his, his urges, his instincts. He, he uh, subdued his nature, overcame his nature until he totally conquered his nature. Until he became a godly person. He became a holy person. That he no longer had any physical urges or instincts. His entire uh, urges and instincts were only channeled to sublimated to spirituality and godliness. This is one, one or two in every generation. And what is the mission of the tzaddik? The mission of the tzaddik is, for those of us who can climb the mountain, the tzaddik is the leader who did climb the mountain, so he's able to bring from the top of the mountain, he's able to bring us back and to connect with those of us who are on the base of the mountain or down in the mountain. So the tzaddik is able to bless us. The tzaddik is able to connect heaven to earth because the tzaddik has reached heaven. He's able to bring heaven down to earth. He's able to bring the blessing to us. He's able, because not everyone has the power. Not everyone has the strength to climb the mountain. It takes tremendous dedication, tremendous inner discipline, tremendous inner strength and character. Not everyone has that. Most people don't have it. So the tzaddik who has achieved it, and his personal life has reached such a high level, he can then bless the people, and he can then connect, connect godliness and bring down everything that, uh, an hour level. Um, so now that we have the definition of the tzaddik and the benini and the rasha, the rasha is someone who violates a single mitzvah in the Torah. Whether a sin of commission, a sin of omission, biblical, rabbinic, makes no difference. Even though he's 99.9% good. And he studied Torah for 23 hours and 59 minutes, 59 seconds. But he had an extra second to learn and he wasted it. And he didn't learn. He's a rush. That moment he's a rush. He abused the word of Hashem. He humiliated and insulted the word of Hashem. That's the objective status. Then you have the Benini. The Benini who's not a Russia is perfect. 100% perfect. Across the board. But it takes tremendous discipline. It takes tremendous effort. And tremendous struggle. And it's a constant struggle. Which describes 99.9% of us. We all have the potential to be a Benini. But it takes tremendous effort. And then you have the tzaddik. The tzaddik is in a league, a league all of his own. Tzaddik is one or two in every generation. King David's of the world, the Isaiah's of the world, the Abraham's of the world, the Moses of the world, the Rebbe's of the world, the Maimonides, the Rashi's of the world. And this is, these are holy Jews. It's a different level. This is a person who the material world has no hold on them. They're totally, their hearts are in their own control. They control their hearts. Not only don't they do the wrong thing, not even tempted to do anything. Not even tempted to anything materialistic. It's not even a struggle for them. That, that's, they're not tempted. And they're tempted only towards, all their desires and temptations are only towards godliness and selflessness and goodness. And, and so this is the definition of a tzaddik. This is really the foundation of the whole of the whole Hasidic movement. Because up until the Hasidic movement, till the revolutionary movement of Hasidism, what was a person's ideal in life? A person's ideal in life was to be a good Jew, study a lot of Torah, and perhaps even work on your character. Musr, the Musr movement, a person should work on his character. You should be a mensch, you should be nice, Work on your anger, work on your arrogance, work on your jealousies, work on your nastiness, work on all, you know, all the human characteristic traits. And just be a mensch, be a nice person, be a kind person. And it's a, life, a lifelong goal. It's enough to keep us busy, engaged for our entire lives, constantly improving our character and our personality and being sensitive 
and being kind and being gentle and being a mensch. And that's, that's, that's the ultimate Jew, the tzaddik. Fulfills Torah, studies Torah all day, and is a nice person also. Kind person, gentle, kind. That's the tzaddik. But again, that would not explain how Rabbah could make such a, a, a drastic mistake. How Rabbah could mistake himself for being a Benin. Because all of these things are measurable. Am I fulfilling the mitzvot or am I not fulfilling the mitzvot? Am I studying Torah all day or am I not studying Torah all day? Am I studying Torah or not? Am I a kind person? Am I not a kind person? Do I get angry? I don't get angry. Do I have rage or have issues with rage or not? Do I, do I get jealous or don't I get jealous? Am I kind? Am I not? All of these things are measured. So how can Rabbah, if a person has to be honest with himself, a person has to know his strengths, just like a person has to know his weaknesses, how can Rabbah make such a foolish mistake? Consider himself a benini? If you're going to say the tzaddik is someone who's, who studies Musr and he's a nice person. The benini is someone who studies Torah, but he still has a harsh personality. So I mean, a person knows himself. You can know if you're a kind, gentle person, or if you're still uh, a, a work in the making. You still have a lot of work ahead. How can Rabbah make a mistake? But now that he described it, the definition of a tzaddik, the difference between the tzaddik and the benini is a very subtle definition. It's an internal definition. There's nothing external. Externally, you can't tell any difference between the tzaddik and the benini. The benini is perfect and the tzaddik is perfect, behaviorally. The difference is a very subtle difference. That the tzaddik has no evil inclination. The tzaddik is not even tempted to do anything wrong. He's not even capable of lying. His whole being has become good. It's not only he does good, his whole being is good. It's not only he connects with godliness, his whole being is godly. This is, a very, this is already a very subtle difference. So now we can understand how Rabbah, judging himself objectively, looking himself objectively, knowing his strengths, says, just because I'm perfect, and just because I study Torah every waking moment, and I'm so steeped in Torah, and, and I'm nice, and I'm kind, and I'm gentle, how do I know I'm a tzaddik? How do I know that my whole being is godly? Maybe my being is not godly. Internally, I'm still unrefined. But, I'm doing the right thing. In other words, the difference between the tzaddik and the benini is, and that's what he's going to explain now in the explanation that follows, that the tzaddik is someone who is egoless. The benini is someone who has an ego, who has a very healthy ego, who has an eye, a healthy eye, sense of eye. And my ego has urges and temptations. But the Benini overcomes his ego. And he's in control of his behavior. While the Tzaddik is someone who's egoless. There's no I, there is no ego. His whole being is godly. Is God-focused, God-centered. Now that's a very subtle difference. A person has an ego, a person doesn't have an ego... So here, we can already understand how Rabbah could make a mistake. Rabbah could think, you know, maybe I still have a healthy ego. I'm just doing the right thing. But to say that I'm, my whole being is godly, that I'm totally egoless, Rabbah says, I don't know that for a fact. I have no proof for that. Abaya, his student, turned to his Rebbe and says, you are the tzaddik, you are the pillar of the world, of our, our generation. Of course you're egoless. Your whole being is godly. It's not only you're doing godly and you're doing Jewish, your whole being is Jewish. Your whole essence is godly. And you're totally egoless. So that, that was a bias call. But Rabbah at least can make that mistake. And therefore, this shifted the whole emphasis of the Hasidic movement, the whole emphasis of the Hasid, that it's not enough for a Jew just to focus and concentrate on studying Torah and doing mitzvot and doing the right thing and being a mensch. That's elementary. That's basics. That's ABC. That's olive bits. Without, that goes without saying. Without that, without that, you're a Russian. Without that, you're not even in the ballpark. But the emphasis and the focus has to be on internal work. A person has to work. It's not enough for, for a Jew just to do the right thing. A person also has to work on his ego. A person has to realize that 
there is no other reality but God. There is no I. There is no ego. All there is is God. And if God exists, nothing else really exists. So there is no I. There is no room for any I outside of God, separate from God. That we're inseparable from God. And therefore our whole being is godly. And that became the, that became the main emphasis, the main focus. That a chassid, the internal life of a chassid, what makes a chassidic Jew? The internal life of a chassid is a chassid who's trying to become egoless. A person's focus and emphasis is trying to rise above his ego. He's trying to be less, less of an emphasis on the I and the ego because you can study Torah and you can do mitzvot and still have a very healthy ego. You're very proud of yourself. I study a lot of Torah. I'm so great. Look what a great person I am. Look what a brilliant mind I have. Look how much Torah I, I mastered. So the studying of Torah and, the learn, and doing a mitzvah doesn't make you more refined. Even the working on your character is also, could also feed your ego. Look what a gentle person I am. Look what a nice person I am. Look how special I am. So it just feeds your ego. And a Jew whose whole emphasis in life is I'm studying Torah in order that I should get a share in the world to come. That's the ultimate ego trip. The eternal ego. <laughs> your ego will live on even after you die. At least when a person dies, your ego comes to an end. Enough with your ego. No, you're taking your ego with you forever and ever. I will be rewarded. I'm going to have a share in the world to come. What's God going to do for me in the next life? My God, is that what your life is all about? I should be rewarded? I, 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 I? So externally, you look like a good Jew. You're learning Torah, you're doing mitzvot, and on the books you're perfect, and you're a musr, and you're, you're a gentleman, and you're nice, and you're kind, and you work on your jealousies and your angers. But it's all about ego. It's not about Hashem. It's not about God. It's about me. So you're so far from the truth. You're so far from the ideal Jew. You're so far from the ultimate. The tzaddikim are our role models. The tzaddikim are what we strive for, what we aspire to. Although we know we can never be a tzaddik, we'll never be a Moses, we don't kid ourselves. We'll never be a King David, we'll never be an Isaiah, we'll never be a Lubavitcher Rebbe. That, that's not what, but that's our ideal. We want to aspire to live some of that inner life. We should taste, get a taste and experience some of the inner life of a King David, some of the inner life of, of the Rebbe, of of Moshe, of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Sarah, What's the ideal? The ideal is that a person should be egoless. That there is no I. All there is is Hashem. Your whole life should be totally consumed with the knowledge and the awareness and the experience of godliness. So this became the new emphasis of the chassid. A chassid is someone who has a rich inner life. Where he strives and he would spend hours in prayer and service trying to refine himself, trying to overcome his ego, rise above his ego, rise, rise above his sense of I, and try to taste godliness, experience godliness, feel godliness, sense the reality of godliness, how there's no other reality but God, and therefore there is no I, there is no ego. And then, the Torah and the mitzvot are refined. When a person studies Torah, and it's not about proving how brilliant I am, I mastered the Torah but it's about studying the divine Torah, becoming one with Hashem. When I do a mitzvah, and it's not about getting a share in the world to come, what can God do for me, my eternal ego, my eternal reward. It's about becoming connected with Hashem, fulfilling the will of Hashem. And that becomes the drive and my, and my motivation in life. That I become God's hands and feet, and I become God's expression. God wants me to move, God is my soul, and I move. Just like the soul and the body. Then your whole life becomes elevated. Your whole life becomes refined. You truly become a refined Jew. An edel Jew. An elevated Jew. With a rich inner life. A deep inner life. More genuine. More authentic. Deeper. And a pleasure to be with. Because there's no ego. It's not about me. So without, that's why this is the first chapter of the Tanya, because this is, this is revolutionary. The Rebbe is saying here, he's not just talking about, he's not talking dictionary here. Let's talk about the definition of a tzaddik, a bedni, a rasha. Very interesting. Okay. Now we know the true definition. Okay, very interesting. So what does that have to do with me? 
This revolutionized the whole emphasis of what Judaism is trying to accomplish. The whole emphasis of Judaism is not trying to accomplish you should get a shear in the world to come. The emphasis of Judaism is not trying to accomplish that it's not about me. The emphasis of Judaism is trying to accomplish that a person should become godly. His whole being should become godly. All of the mitzvot and all of the Torah is to transform a person that the whole person should become a godly person. Godly human being. A wholesome human being. And that takes tremendous effort. That takes inner work. It's very subtle. To work on your ego is very subtle. All the other things is very tangible. Am I fulfilling the code of Jewish law or am I not fulfilling the code of Jewish law? Am I studying Torah or am I wasting my time and I'm not studying Torah? Am I a nice person or am I not a nice person? All of these things are measurable. Tangible. But it's not enough. That's basic, that's elementary, that's olive base. The emphasis has to be on something much deeper, something more subtle. I could be studying Torah and I could be doing mitzvah. And I could be a kind, gentle person. But there's no subtlety. It's all egotistical. I'm so far from God. I'm so far from godliness. I'm going contrary to the whole essence of a mitzvah. Mitzvah is a divine. And here I'm, I'm, being, I'm going about it in an egotistical way. It's contrary to what a mitzvah is all about. A mitzvah is divine. Divine is godly. That there is no other reality but God. That there is no I. There is no ego. All there is is Hashem. And that's why the tzaddik is a conduit for blessings. Because the tzaddik is egoless. And the greater the tzaddik, the greater can do it for blessing. Moshe, the ultimate, God spoke through, through his throat. Because there was no eye, there was no ego. That's why the tzaddik, the blessing, God's blessing could pass right through the tzaddik. Because it's not about eye. The Talmud says when a Jew has a problem, you should go to the tzaddik. Why should he go to the tzaddik? The Jews, we pray directly to God. We don't believe in intermediaries. We pray directly to God. Every Jew speaks to God directly. Baruch atah. But the Talmud says, go to the tzaddik. Go to the chacham. Go to the tzaddik. Why? There are many reasons given. And one of the explanations is because the tzaddik is egoless. When you come to the tzaddik with your pain, the tzaddik feels your pain. Your pain becomes his pain. He truly suffers because he cares about you. Because he's not egotistical. He's not about himself. And when your pain becomes his pain, it was never decreed in heaven that the tzaddik should suffer. So Hashem has no choice. Hashem has to alleviate the pain because the tzaddik is suffering now. So when the tzaddik suffers and he gives a blessing, Hashem removes the pain. In the sake of the tzaddik, Hashem removes your pain. When a tzaddik gives you advice, you know the tzaddik is egoless. The tzaddik has no ego or acts to grind. There's no political considerations. There's no superficial considerations. It's pure. He's telling you the truth. He's telling you the genuine advice. What does Hashem want from you? What does the Torah want from you? What does God want from you? And you know it's pure. Like mother's milk, he's telling you the truth. And Hashem is speaking through him. Because, because there is no ego. Because the tzaddik is transparent. We are opaque. We don't sense godliness. Why don't we sense godliness? Because we are opaque. We have egos. The egos blocks and covers up and the godly, the godly spark within us. So we don't sense it. We could learn Torah, we could do mitzvot, but it doesn't make us godly people. You could be great rabbis. Great Russian yeshiva doesn't make the person a godly person. Just because he studies Torah all day and he does mitzvah, he's hardly a bainini. Because what are the chances that he's a 100% perfect? He's probably 99.9. And even if he was 100% perfect, a bainini. He's a human being, an average human being. With an earthy mind and an earthy heart who has temptations and he overcomes it. Through tremendous discipline and tremendous effort he overcomes it. But he's not a godly person. He still has a healthy ego. The tzaddik is someone who has no ego. His whole identity, his whole being, his whole essence is godly. He lives godliness. And therefore, everything about him is, is godliness, and therefore he's transparent. The question is, if God is everywhere, what is the definition of holiness? 
we say a holy place. The temple is holy. God is everywhere. God is not only in the temple. Beit HaMikdash, the holy home. There's no place empty of God. What, what, what do you mean a home is holy? What do you mean a holy day? And God is not around on Sunday and Monday? He's only around on Shabbos? He's only around on Yom Tov? What do you mean a holy Jew? So the definition of holiness is transparent. When godliness is transparent, that's holy. When, when it's opaque, it's like a window, you can't see through, it's opaque, it blocks the light. It blocks the light, that's ordinary. When the window is clear and the sun shines through, that's a definition of holiness. When you're able to sense godliness, when you're able to sense godliness, it's holy. A holy place is a place that you feel God's presence. You sense God's presence. You walk into it, you sense, there's an awe, you sense God's presence, that's holy. A holy time is a time that you sense God's presence. Godliness is accessible. On a Shabbos, you feel more connection to godliness. You're conscious of it. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can connect with it. Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah. A holy Jew, a tzaddik, is someone who has no ego. His whole being is godly. He's transparent. That's why on Yom Kippur, you have the combination of the holiest spot on earth, the Holy of Holies, the holiest Jew, the high priest, would enter in the holiest day of the year. You have the perfect, perfect storm, the perfect combination, the holiest spot, the holiest time, and the holiest Jew all coming together. The holiest day. And all the Jews would come to the temple, and on a day like that, when you're in the presence of the holy tzaddik, in such a holy place, your own neshama becomes accessible. Your God, the godly spark within you becomes accessible. It's, you can touch it, you can experience it, you can tap into it. While on an ordinary day, you're not conscious of it. You don't feel it, you don't sense it. It's there, but it's opaque, it's covered up, it's concealed, it's hidden. You can't access it. The tzaddik is someone who can access that spark all the time, throughout the year. Like someone once asked the, I believe it was the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Marash. He says, what is the definition of a Rebbe? See, so he turns to the Jew, or it may have been the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shalom Dov Beres. So he says, let me ask you, how do you pray on the day before Yom Kippur, you know, the Mincha before Yom Kippur, the first time you say al Khait, you make the long confession, every Jew, the day before Yom Kippur, you're standing for the holiest day, your whole life is, is, is in front of you. You're being judged that day. You're praying with a broken heart. Or in the ila, the, the, the final prayer, the highest prayer, the climactic prayer of the entire Yom Kippur service. You stand up, the ark is open, you're standing the whole time, you, you, your heart is open. It's, it's an unbelievable, intense experience, powerful experience. So he says, he tells, he was explaining the simple Jew. He says, a tzaddik, what you experience <laughs> on the ni'ilah, on the highest day of the year, the climactic moment at the end of the hall, and you're screaming, Shema Yisrael. And he says, a tzaddik, on a regular mincha, on a regular Wednesday afternoon, feels that. <laughs> now imagine what the tzaddik feels on Shabbos. Imagine what he is experiencing on holiday, his Yom Kippur and his Ni'ilah. So even the simple Jew understood that we're talking about someone who's in a different, different level. So a tzaddik is someone who at all times, all places, always had access to this godly spark. Godliness is transparent. He feels it, he breathes it, he lives it, he is it. And so even though it's, we cannot reach that level, but at least we can aspire to be as tzaddik-like as we can. To the best of our ability, that has to be our aspiration. And we know that once Mashiach will come, we'll all be tzaddik. Because it says Mashiach will come, God will circumcise our hearts, we'll remove our egos, remove our covering. And our godly neshamas will all emerge and surface. We'll all be on the level of the tzaddik. The tzaddik is like a citizen of the future. The tzaddik is like the cutting edge. We know whatever is at the cutting edge in fashion eventually makes its way down to everyone. But it takes time. It take, but it eventually will reach everyone. The fact that there's one tzaddik in the world, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, confirms for us that eventually Mashiach will come and eventually we'll all be on that level. We'll all be a tzaddik. 
we'll all become egoless. Hashem will circumcise the covering of our hearts and we'll all be godly. So although until the moment a Mashiach comes and the moment has not arrived yet, unfortunately, tragically, but until that moment, because we all feel, thank God, we have very healthy, healthy egos. Our egos are still there. The covering has not been removed yet that we can all testify personally. It's alive and well, uh, too alive and well, unfortunately. But even though we cannot be at that level until Mashiach, it's not in our control. We're not created to be tzaddikim. It's only one or two in every generation. But that's our aspiration. We aspire. That has to be the ultimate goal that we aspire to. At least we want to get a taste of it. At least we want to try to experience it somewhat. And that's the ultimate goal, that we, at least for a few moments, we should become as egoless as we can. And that's what a chassid aspires to. That's what a Jew should aspire to. That's what the Tanya is reorienting the chassid. That we have to focus on our inner life. Something very subtle. Not a, it's not a, enough that we study Torah. We have to study Torah in a godly way, without ego. It's not enough we do a mitzvah, but we have to do the mitzvah with joy, with passion with a love for Hashem, without ego. It's not enough that we do a favor to another Jew begrudgingly. We have to do the favor selflessly, with love, genuinely, without ego. And that takes tremendous effort, and that takes tremendous work. And that's a chassid, and especially a chabad chassid. Chabad chassid, this is hard work. This is, there's no easy, but it's rewarding work. It's a genuine path for our ultimate reward, the inner reward. Not the reward in the world to come, but the reward that when you live a genuine life, a godly life. And you see, every chapter in the Tanya, if you think about it, is really revolutionary. Alter Rebbe is not just teaching us interesting information. This is information that's transformative, that, tr that will transform your life, change your life, change your whole perspective. And beginning next week, we'll get into the explanation, uh, we'll go deeper into the explanation, which forms the basis of the, of the whole Tanya, the whole Tanya and the whole Hasidic movement, the whole Hasidic philosophy. Anyone has any questions, comments, thoughts? You don't have to agree with anything we said here. <laughs> so is a tzaddik ever born a tzaddik? Or? Ah. A tzaddik is born with the potential to be a tzaddik, yes. Just like Einstein is born to be Einstein. With the potential to be Einstein. If he never studied, he would never become Einstein. But when he studies, he becomes Einstein. When we study, <laughs> we can study for a thousand years, we'll never be Einstein. So we, 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 we're not born with that potential. But a tzaddik is born with that potential.